Well, uh, everybody doing well today? Good, good. Well, today is a good day in the life of the church because we're having uh, our baptism class uh, right after this celebration. Um, It will only take um, an hour and lunch is provided, child care is provided. You'll be done by 1.15 to enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And if you've never been baptized before, I would strongly encourage you to uh, think about coming to the class. Uh, I really believe that in a real way it could be the best decision maybe that you could uh, make this whole summer. So right after uh, conference room, just take a right where the donuts were and uh, we'll see if we have more people for baptism than that came for donuts. Um, Maybe we can wish. Okay. Hey, we're in our third part of our summer series called Flow, and we've been talking about the importance of understanding the New Testament concept of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit gives us this primary idea that there is this promised life, that we don't have to wait until we get to heaven, but we can actually start living in the flow of the promised life right now. And Jesus kind of put it this way. It'll come up on the side screens. Uh, Let's read this out loud together. Everybody in one voice. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. So whoever believes in him, there will be these streams of living water. And we talked about that this living water flows to a life that is promised, a promised life. And we can experience that right now. But many of us don't believe that we can, and so what happens is we get stuck in reality. And we get stuck in a reality that says, um, there's no way I can bridge this gap, because there's a gap between the promised life and our reality. And we say, hey, there's no way we can bridge that gap on my own. And so people do many different things. One thing that they do is they try harder. If I just get more of God and I get up earlier and I do more. Some people will try to uh, fake it and just go, I'm in the promised life. Everything's good. Everything's wonderful. But it's not really that way from day to day. And then for other people, they may say, well, this spiritual venue doesn't meet my needs, so I'll go to this one and that one. And they go to 20 different churches in 10 days because, uh, you know, none of that fits that. And then some people finally just get to the point where they give up. They just said, I'm throwing in the towel. I'll never get to this point of the promised life. And they just give up. Then we talked about, though, that Jesus expressed that he gave us a river of life that flows out of us that will lead us to the promised life called the Holy Spirit. And that our role is not to work hard to try to get the Holy Spirit. It's simply to stay in the flow of the Spirit and to not get in its way. Now, I want you to look at the side screens here for a second. And what are those? Waves, right? And we talked about that in a real way, grace is like waves. 
And these waves just keep on coming, one right after the other. And it's our job just to not get in the way, but to enjoy the waves. Not to close ourselves off from the Spirit, but to open ourselves up to the Spirit. And I use this analogy of surfing. And uh, here's a surfing guy, okay, and he's got his board. We're in church, so he probably better have some swim trunks on, so let's do that. Don't want no naked surfers up in church here, you know. So, and if you think about surfing, surfing is all about opening yourself up to enjoy the waves. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It allows us to jump into the flow and we open ourselves up and we enjoy the waves. And who is the maker of the waves? God. And if you fall off, if you wipe out, if something happens, and it happens in surfing sometimes, let's see a wipeout. There it is. If that happens, if you take a header, you take a fall, you jump off your surfboard, there's another wave that's going to come, and you can experience God's grace once again. Now, the thing that often knocks us off the wave is the reality that you and I have some mismanaged anger. We have anger issues. We don't talk about it, and I'll talk about it later on, but we struggle with that. And we become self-seeking. And the key is, the key is, is that rather than staying stuck out in the ocean, why not just get back up and enjoy another wave, another wave of God's grace? There's another one coming all the time. In fact, one of the goals of the Christian life, folks, is for you to have fun, to actually enjoy the ride. There will be enough reality that will wipe you out at times. But the the goal of the Holy Spirit is to help you through this thing called life so that you live in an abundant life right now. And if you fall off, if you wipe out, all you have to do is say this, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry I messed up. Send me another way. And whatever you want me to do, I open myself up once again to receiving it. And you let go of the past. One of the biggest killers of enjoying the surfing of the Holy Spirit is we get stuck in our past. And God wants us to press on forward towards the flow of the Spirit. Now, there are four different patterns that we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks. I bet some of you are so glad to hear that, like, oh, my gosh, he talks a lot. Now we have four things we're going to talk about. No, no, no. We're only going to talk about one thing, but I want to give you an acronym for this whole time so it sticks in your head so that you put these things off, as the Scripture says. And we're going to do it by using this acronym called RAGS, R-A-G-S, RAGS. Okay. Now, when we do that, we want to look at, first of all, the R. And the R uh, stands for resentment. Resentment. Can you say resentment, boys and girls? No, no, you don't say it like that. You got resentment, right? Some of you have resentment this morning while you're here. We all struggle with it. Resentment is bitterness. It's anger. It's rage. It's... Mismanaging all those things. The A stands for anxiety. 
And in a couple weeks, we'll talk about that. This is worry or fear about the future. An unwillingness to kind of trust God in the midst of it. We get anxious and it keeps us from trusting God. The G stands for greed. Greed. And basically what I'm talking about is wrongful desires. It might include money, but it could include other appetites like food or sex or impulses or any misguided kind of desire. Now, some of you are like, I perfected all three of these. I'm in the flow. I never get resentful. I don't have anxiety issues. I do not have greed issues. So if you're that person, we have one more thing, which is the S, which is superiority, which is judgmentalism and self-righteousness. So if you get through all that, how well are you doing there? Now, if you look at anywhere in the Old Test or in the New Testament or Old Testament, most of the stuff that we struggle with as a general rule comes down to one of these four categories. And over the next uh, over the next eight weeks, what we're going to do is unpack each of these, taking two weeks to look at resentment, anxiety, greed, and superiority. So that we learn how to put these things off so that we stay in the flow of what God's Spirit is calling us to do. So today what I want us to look at is the R, which stands for what? Resentment. There, that was a little bit better, you know, kind of give it an attitude. Okay, now our working definition for resentment uh, for the next two weeks is this. A feeling of deep and bitter anger towards someone who has wronged you. A feeling of deep and bitter anger towards someone who has wronged you. Just by a show of hands, in your entire life, have any of you had a deep and bitter anger towards someone? Just raise your hand. If you do not raise your hand, what do we call those people? Liars. Liars. You're a liar. Because all of us have had deep and bitter anger towards someone who has hurt us. But this is the problem with resentment. Most people just visit resentment every once in a while. But some people live at resentment. They live on an island of resentment. And if you're that person, this is a good day to be at church because we're going to help you through that, to get off the island. Now, I want to make two observations about resentment. Here's the first one. Jesus expects his followers to live lives increasingly free of resentment. It's an expectation that if you're a follower of Christ, that you will live a life that is increasingly free of resentment. Now, many of you know my story. I grew up as a PK, a preacher's kid. And I went to a lot of church. Like, you had to go to church all the time. Uh, my kids will go, Dad, we got to go to church today. I'm like, don't even talk to me. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday for choir practice, Saturday for something else. You're like, oh. So when we started the jar, I was like, we're going to have small groups and we're going to have church on Sunday. And in between, have fun. You know what I mean? 
So, growing up as a PK, what happened was, is that it was interesting to me what people would do with this whole issue of correcting people when it came to sin. I can remember people getting bent up and uptight that people were smoking cigarettes in like the parking lot and they left their buds there and they were ready to kick them out of the church. And then we had an organist who was the meanest, crotchiest, crabbiest, crankiest, nastiest person you ever met in your life. And people just didn't do anything. They would say this. They would go, oh, that's just the way Wilma is. It's just the way Wilma is. She tried to slam someone, the piano player we had, she tried to slam their fingers by putting the thing down. That's the way Wilma is. You know, it's so funny. There was a lady in the first celebration. Her name was Wilma. And she came up to me afterwards. She's like, hey, I got a bone to pick with you. I'm like, well, get in line, you know. And uh, she's like, my name is Wilma. I'm like, well, I wasn't picking you, let me tell you. But no one would do anything about Wilma. The leaders of the church just let her do whatever that she wanted to do. There was nothing done to her at all. But if you smoked a cigarette and you dropped the butt, or God forsake, someone gets a DUI, kick them out of the church, you know? And that's unacceptable in the church of Jesus Christ. We should not allow people who say they're Christ followers to be resentful people all the time. You might, live, you might visit there, just don't live there. And I think that it is unacceptable. But don't just listen to me. Because if you listen to Chris Bunch, eventually I'm going to let you down. I will say something. I will do something that will not help you whatsoever in your growth towards Christ. So you need to listen to Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount... His most famous teaching in Matthew 5 through 7. And I'd encourage any of you to read that this week along with your reading plan. you got a reading plan in your program. That's not just to throw away. That's tomorrow to actually get up and to enjoy some time with God. But in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, it talks about mismanaged anger and resentment. In fact, Jesus called out those sins, folks, more than anything else when it came to this passage of Scripture. And there's a reason for it. Because everything in the human experience traces itself back to having resent and anger towards someone else who has done us wrong. Now Paul, one of Jesus' closest followers, agreed with this message and he actually talked about it in a letter to a group of people in Ephesus, which is in present-day Greece. And he wrote to them, and this is what he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your favorite way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Resentment is one of those deceitful desires. And to be made new in the attitude of your minds, which we talked about last week, and to put on the new self. Then he goes on to verse 30, and he says this, And do not, what's the word? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
You know, I woke up this morning and there was something in me, a relational issue in me. And I was like, ah, man, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So I had to ask for forgiveness before I even got to my Bible reading because I didn't want that. Don't cast yourself off from the Spirit of God because His Spirit wants to be with you and in you all the time. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then look at the next verse it says. What's the, what's the first two words? What? Get rid. Get rid of what? What's the word? It's only three letters. All. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Don't do that. Put that off. But what should you do? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The very first scripture verse that my two girls, Jordan and Shiloh, who are six and eight, memorized was verse 32. It wasn't John 3:16, Because I wanted to be seared into their mind. Because resentment is so easy to allow to be consumed. So if you want to today, when you leave, if you know my daughters, ask them, say, what's Ephesians 4.32? And they'll tell you. They'll be so happy to tell you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. If you struggle with resentment, this passage would be a great one to memorize. Cut it out, put it somewhere, and change your mind the way you think. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Why? Not because they always deserve it, but because that's what Christ is to you. Now, look back at verse 26. Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And then notice this next phrase. Do not give the devil a what? Foothold. A foothold. You guys ever do the sack race before growing up? Three-legged sack race? How many times did the other person's foot get a hold of your foot or the bag got a hold of it and you slammed straight down? A lot, right? Because there's a foothold that's connected that you're not able to take care of. The experience of anger is the easiest way for Satan to get a foothold in somebody's life. Did you notice communion was so sweet, it was so cool to see people People are loving and they're experiencing God's forgiveness and his grace. They're being kind to one another, getting rid of this. And the evil one hates that. He absolutely hates it. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what happens when you get angry that gives the evil one a foothold in your life and in your mind. Now, a few months ago, my wife did this whole kind of thing on uh, the Well, I won't tell you what. She did this whole part of the teaching where she had all these magnificent kind of visual aids. And people were like, oh, I never understood that until your wife did that. And oh, it was so great. And so I was going to use her stuff, but I decided on Friday I could draw some things myself. I was concerned about drawing on a board that everyone couldn't see it. So I drew these myself. So here's the first thing I drew. This is part of the illustration. Anybody know what that is? No, it's a brain. You don't see it? That is a brain. 
I will get angry up in here. This is a brain, okay? That is a brain. And there is a part of the brain called the amygdala. And it's kind of at the, the bottom there. And there was a researcher by the name of Ladeau who did all of his study on that particular part of the brain, the amygdala. He was a neurosurgeon. He did all this research. And he found that this is the primary place where rage and anger sit. Where rage, anger, fear kind of sit. In fact, they did an experiment where they removed this part from certain animals. And when they did that, the animals had no longer any rage or fear. In fact... This is the part of the human brain that actually triggers tears. Now, I was talking to my wife about this, and she goes, well, you've got a big amygdala. (laughs) And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? She goes, every time we go to a movie, you just cry. You just cry like a girl. How many saw Inside Out? Anybody see that movie yet? If you haven't, you should go see it. So I went and I saw it. And I'm holding Shiloh, and Jen and Jordan are beside me, and it gets to, you know, I won't waste, I won't spoil the movie for you, but it gets to a critical part, and I just start bawling, like I'm crying. And finally, Jordan's like, Dad, get a grip, you know? <laughs> like, serious, you know? So I start pinching Shiloh so I wasn't crying by myself, and all of a sudden she's like, ah, you know? Because then it looks better if you're a male, you know, that you're kind of doing that. Well, normally, when input comes into the brain, it goes to the uh, neocortex, which is kind of the outskirts of the brain. But in 5% of the cases, when something extremely emotional happens, it bypasses that, and it goes directly to the amygdala. It gets short-circuited. And you've seen this happen before, haven't you? Let me give you an example. Mom is taking the kids to the store. She has a three-year-old that's beside her. She has an 18-month-old in the cart, and she's pushing the cart. They go down the cereal aisle, and the three-year-old picks up Cocoa Puffs and says, I want Cocoa Puffs. And the mom is very calm and says, well, no, honey, we're, we're not having Cocoa Puffs today. No, I need Cocoa Puffs. No, put it back. No, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Put it back. At that same point, the 18-month-old has uh, reached down and grabbed a jar of jelly that is glass. It sucks on it for a while, but it starts noticing like mom and sister going at it. So it just kind of goes, it drops and it splatters all over the place. Now, in that moment, researchers call this an amygdala hijack. Okay, It's true. You can look it up. It's amygdala hijack. The amygdala hijacks the thinking process, and the mom goes ballistic. She picks up that three-year-old, slams him over his arm. He's like a pretzel now, just like hanging there like that, and screaming as they go out the store, I don't want to leave. I want my Cocoa Puffs. And every parent there is like, boy, they're a horrible parent. (laughs) Now let me ask you, have any of you seen that before? 
Have any of you experienced that before? Look, some moms are like, yeah, I'm, yeah. Give me something I can confess. That's it. And when this happens, she's suffering from what they call cognitive incapacitation. In other words, relational thought, folks, is no longer in control. It's just all about anger. Now, let me share another thing with you that I found kind of interesting. I need uh, my graphic thoughts here again. Anybody know what that is? No, it's not a chicken. It's a hand. I mean, it's... <laughs> Some of you right now are like, could your wife have come and done this today? Hey, I thought I did pretty well, you know. Anyways, this is a hand. And another research by the name of LeBoy said when there is an impulse in your brain, for instance, an impulse says that, hey, I want to move my finger up and down or I want to wave at you or I want to talk, that when that impulse comes, there's actually a time lapse between the time that the impulse comes into my brain and I move my finger called the life-giving quarter second. It's called the life-giving quarter second. And the life-giving quarter second between the impulse and when I raise my finger or wave my hand is so important. Now, you might say, oh, that's such a short period of time. That isn't very important. No, it's huge. It's gigantic. And that's the time when you can give the Holy Spirit control of what you're thinking. And in that quarter second can be huge. It can give you the the ability to give the foothold to God's Spirit and not to Satan. That one quarter second in your mind can be an opportunity that you say, okay, Spirit, is this an impulse from you or is this mine? Example, you're in a discussion with your spouse or maybe with a friend. And the conversation gets really heated. And then for my case, with uh, my wife and because I have such a big amygdala, um, a helpful insight often comes to my mind when this heated conversation comes. You're just like your mother. Man, I got some glares right now going here. And if you do that, it will not go well for you. You might have to sleep on the couch. But if you stop in that moment and you say, Holy Spirit, should I say this? Of course, the answer is what? No. And if I stop and I do that, the Spirit can guide me and help me. And Jesus says, you can really do this. Example for students. Some of you are going back to school pretty soon. And when you go back to school, there will be insults at school. But you've got a life-giving quarter second. Somebody cuts you down at work in front of the boss, and everybody sees it. And you get offended by that, and you get angry. You've got a life-giving quarter second. A child makes a mistake, and you're ready to go off on them. You've got a life-giving quarter second to ask, Holy Spirit, is this impulse from you? And when you do this, folks, it can change your life. And you can do this. You really can. 
You can do this. In fact, God wired you this way. He, he's created you in such a way that there is a life-giving quarter second for you to choose whether you'll go his way or you'll go the way of yourself or the evil one. And even if you mess up, this is what the good news is. If you do that, there's another wave that comes and another wave that comes and another wave of God's grace that comes and helps you to get back up. But it is possible, folks. I've learned how to do this over the last four or five years. It is possible to live this way, and Jesus expects it. Second observation. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not for you to get really good at resisting angry impulses. The ultimate goal is to help you in a ceaseless flow of kingdom love. It's not about you trying to suppress or put down the anger in your life. It's about allowing there to be a ceaseless flow of kingdom love that would be a part of your everyday life. And Jesus, again, he addresses all of this in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why I want to encourage you to read it this week. Because he addresses this concept of bitterness and resentment. You know what the attitude is? Oh, that person hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. You hurt me. I hurt you back. And Jesus said these words. He said, you have heard that it was said. What's What's the next three words? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, what's he say? Love your enemies. Now I want to pause here for a second, because this isn't just something that's like in the Bible and then you just read by it. No, he really expected us to do this. He wants us to do this. He wants us to at least try in each moment that we go through life to ask the Holy Spirit to come. You know, the whole um, struggle that we saw in Charleston of this evil man who went into a church and killed these people, that was not the power of that story. The power of the story was the family members who got back up in the midst of the trial and said, I forgive you. That's the power. It reduces everything else in that story, and it reminds me I'm so far away from this commandment to love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Do you know who your enemy is? It's anyone that you don't like. It's anyone that you are resentful towards. It's anyone that you want to hurt. And I'm telling you, because I've seen it happen in churches, but for some reason in churches... We want to kind of get ourselves off the hook. I hear this phrase often. Well, pastor, I can love them, but I don't like them. Um, I, I did this for the first celebration. No one took it up on. Would anyone like to find that verse of scripture for me? You're just to love them, but not like them. Anybody? It's not there. There's no translation that does that. It's just not there. It gets quoted a lot, but it's not there. Now, this issue of anger, folks, it comes down, I think, into two different forms. The first form is attack mode. 
Some of you have a tendency to do that. You attack. You might be a skunk, or they might call you a spewer. Something happens, and you go after the person. You say things like, I want to hurt this person. And what do you do? I yell at them. I scream at them. I go off on them. I slander about them. I gossip about them. In violent situations, you hit them. The second form is the withdrawal mode. Withdrawal mode is, I just avoid you, I ignore you, I snub you, I disregard your existence, I act like you are invisible. Now, this is what is interesting, is that many times, attackers of anger marry withdrawers of anger. Or you have friendships that are that way as well. In my relationship with my wife, Jennifer, we are totally opposite when it comes to anger. I am an attacker or a spewer or a skunk. I don't smell, but, you know, I'm just giving you the illustration. And Jennifer is a withdrawer. She is a turtle who stuffs things inside. So for our anniversary, we went down to Indianapolis. We stay at a hotel. We're having breakfast together. Everything's wonderful. And she goes, you know, when you get sniffles or your allergies acting are acting up you often do this and i've noticed that you do that sometimes publicly and i thought you know you could maybe do better I'm like i don't do that she's like well i hated to even bring it up because i knew you'd probably get defensive but i just thought you know that i would tell you I'm like well i'm not defensive she's like well let's just let it go no Oh, so you think I do this? Well, you don't know what it's like to have allergies, do you? I've got allergies. I've got some issues. And by the way, you've got some weird things you do too. And all of a sudden, I started to list a few of those. And the Holy Spirit at the hotel says, stop attacking. I'm not into that, Chris. Stop it. And I mean, honestly, she's right. Who wants a communicator or a pastor to be like, and don't you love Jesus? And uh, by the way, you know, front row gets all of the slime, you know? I mean, no matter how spiritual you are, if the person's up there and they're communicating so great, but then all of a sudden they're like, like that, you know, it just doesn't do it. And so finally I was like, okay, tell me. And she's like, you don't do it all the time, but sometimes you do. Maybe if you got a Kleenex. And you put it in your pocket, and that came, you could get better at that. I'm like, you're right, that's, that's good. Now let me ask you this. Which one of these two modes are more spiritual? Attacker or a withdrawal person? When we look at it, what do we think? You can have an opinion. Withdrawal, right? That's the one that I see. Because that person never does anything. The withdrawers, you know, are good. So Jen thinks she's more spiritual than I am. But she is not, I can tell you. So, last Sunday, she works a 12-hour shift. She comes in here. I'm up front. I'm looking so forward to see my wife. So I walk up. I'm like, hey, babe, how you doing? Give her a hug. I'm like, how you doing? Okay. And I was like, okay, well, what do you, what do you mean? I'm just fine. Fine. She walks up. We sit right there. We're right beside each other. All of a sudden, I notice she moves a little bit. 
And I'm thinking, well, something can't be fine. I bet she's just tired. I bet that's what it is. So we, we go to lunch. We go to lunch with a couple. And uh, she's still kind of withdrawing. But by the end of the lunch, everything's fine. We go to visit a friend of ours whose, whose mom had died. And we go to the funeral home. She's good. Everything's good. We go home. She takes a little bit of nap because she's been up, you know, 24 hours. And she wakes up. And I was like, hey, I just... I just noticed that you were withdrawing a little bit uh, at church and at lunch. And, you know, what's going on? She's like, well, when I got home, I walked in the house and the living room was a mess. And I kept thinking to myself, why did he not clean this up? And then I get to church and you're coming up saying, hey, how is everything? And she's like, okay, I wasn't okay. But I didn't know how to say that. So that's just what I said. And I'm sorry, Chris. And she said, I realized what I, if I wanted the living room clean, I could have said, he's watching the kids tonight. He's taking them over to his parents. He's making sure that everything's done. If I want that to be done, I should have asked you, and I'm sorry. You see, Jennifer has improved a lot in this area from when we first got married. And I've improved a lot on the attack side than when we first got married. And we're getting better at it because we place those things in front of us. Because we want to be a couple that engages with one another, not drifts apart. You see, folks, attacking and withdrawal are issues that we all struggle with. But both of those are coins, let's say. Both of them are coins, attacking or withdrawal. And you know what's on the other side of the coin? I think we've got it here. So attack and withdrawal is on one side. On the other side is lovelessness. It doesn't matter which form you do when you act it out and you don't take the gift of that quarter second. It's lovelessness that's on the other side. And Jesus, for him, there is no sin more serious than lovelessness. Now we can clench our teeth and go, well, I'm just not going to resent them. But he says, no, that's not what I want. It needs to be a renewing of your mind. Taking that quarter second and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do for me? And yet so often we try to rationalize and perpetuate that. So what I want to do as we close is I want to give you two scriptures that I would strongly encourage you to Take home, put up on your dashboard, get the program, cut it out. And here are the two. The first one is Romans 12:2, and it says this: Do not conform. Whoa, that was weird. That almost sounded like God was speaking. Do not conform. <clears throat> Do not conform any longer in the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then Ephesians 4:22 it says, "Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and then put on a new self." Folks, the spirit's goal is not for you to live and love with clenched teeth or trying to do it harder. Jesus showed us the way that he wants us to deal with resentment. 
When he was on the cross, he looked down from the cross, and what did he say? We have a scripture. Let's read it out loud together. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And that was it. Let me ask you this morning. Have you ever felt like you're being persecuted so much or people are hurting you or they're putting you down or whatever it is, they've hurt you in the past that you feel like, man, this is the cross that I'm carrying. Someone's hurting you. Someone is causing you great pain. And when that happens, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with clenched teeth? You're going to try to get back at them? You're going to hold some resentment toward them? Or could you actually forgive them and let them go? When you walked in today, you received a card that looked like this. I'd like you to pull it out just for a second. And what I'd like you to do is just think about who is the person that you've been holding some resentment toward. And we're going to turn down the lights so that you don't feel, you know, a sense of someone's looking at who that person is. But what I'd like you to do is to take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to tell you who that person is. And then there are three ways that you could actually approach that this week. First of all, you can forgive them, and the way you would do that is either by face-to-face or by giving them a phone call or writing them a letter. Don't text them. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't tweet. So let me give you a moment right now, and we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, this morning for me, that was the name of a person. I wrote it down. Of who that person is. So let's ask. Holy Spirit right now. If there's a person that we are holding some resentment toward. God give us that name and help them. Help us to forgive them. And whether it's. By face to face or writing a letter or. Giving them a phone call God we ask that you would. Give us the strength to do that. So take a moment right now. Maybe uh, for you, I was thinking about this this morning. It just kind of hit me that maybe for some of you, it's someone that actually has already died. But the reality is there's a, a piece of you that's still resenting or holding on to something. Maybe you could go to the grave or write a letter and leave it there. But don't go into the rest of the week not 
letting that go. And maybe God will give you a name later on. But sign it and do something about it. Because the freedom that comes from forgiveness, folks, is so powerful. And when we let go of resentment and we let go of bitterness, there's no greater gift that God allows us to experience than the freedom to be in the flow of his spirit. So I invite you to uh, stand for a closing prayer. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, they would love to pray with you. We have the baptism class right after this. I'll be heading that way. And so uh, would love to have any of you come and be a part of that. Let's pray. Loving God, you who are the father of forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving us the countless times that we have hurt you. That we have walked away from you. And help us now in return to give that gift of forgiveness to one person that maybe we've been holding some resentment toward. God, each person has a card that is not just a card, but it is a vehicle of power to bring the power of your forgiveness into someone else's life. They don't deserve it, God, but we didn't either. So help us to follow through in whatever time you see, but sooner than later, maybe this week, that we would make things right. So come, Holy Spirit, give us courage as we go through this week to forgive that one person so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.